Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we're here with Dr. John White, a popular physician and writer who has been communicating to the public about health issues for nearly two decades. Dr. White is a chief medical officer of WebMD and the author of the new book, Take Control of Your Cancer Risk. Today we're here to discuss the state of healthcare media. And with that, I would like to welcome Dr. White. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Great to be with you again. So let's begin with kind of a broad question. What are your general impressions of the role healthcare media played in 2021, particularly in influencing the public perception of the pandemic for both good and bad? Well, I do think it's been a mixed bag for the healthcare media and the general media. In many ways, there has been no issue that's more important than the COVID pandemic. So here we have grabbed the public's attention. And the challenge is we're trying to communicate around complex scientific topics, right? We're talking about r not. we're talking about different viruses and immune function and FDA regulatory policy, not things that people typically talk about or care about. And many times we kind of blew it in terms of communicating the best information. Not always, but that's part of the challenge that we have with the vaccine hesitancy. And and a good example, to be honest, is the issue of mask wearing, where first experts said, based on the information that they had then, that it wasn't necessary to wear a mask except under certain circumstances. And then the science changed and the knowledge changed. And instead of looking at that as a good thing, people looked at that as a bad thing that you don't know what you're talking about, this is all a hoax or a conspiracy, and and people didn't get ahead of that. And, you know, there's been numerous examples of that, you know, on on testing. If you ask people, what's the policy if you test positive right now, their, their head will swell. It just hasn't been communicated well. Lots of good intentions, but on the execution, it, it really has been a mixed bag. I like how you phrased when the science changed, mm-hmm. instead of looking at it as a good thing, they saw it as a bad thing. Yeah. If we were to distill just the channel of communication from the experts in terms of publishing data in peer-reviewed academic journals, and then how it distills to the public through media outlets like WebMD mm-hmm. and other mainstream media outlets, was there something different that took place during the pandemic that perhaps put things out of the traditional order? Absolutely. What I'm very proud about at WebMD that we do is we vet every piece of content. Literally everything that we post is reviewed by a medical expert and we put who that medical expert is. But the problem nowadays is the public perceives anyone as an expert that has a Twitter handle or a social media handle. So they're listening to anyone's experience and anecdotes and they're being misled. And we know a lot of social media algorithms keeps feeding you the same type of information. And in many cases, misinformation. So that's the biggest challenge that we have with the COVID pandemic is almost anyone is perceived as an expert. And people aren't turning to traditional news media to get their information. And the algorithms on social often promote those that are most provocative. So if I wrote you know, a post and it was crazy and people wrote lots of negative things on it, 
it's still going to rise in many cases in search because that's how the algorithms are designed. Now they are making changes, but that's been the biggest issue that people don't look to just their traditional uh, voices. And, and even in, in medicine, we told patients not to come in. It was very hard to get a hold of clinicians and physicians and, and pharmacists and nurses to talk to about it. So it really has been uh, a monumental challenge. And, you know, I don't want to give the impression that we've done everything wrong. We've done lots of things right, but we really have had several missteps and the environment is one that we didn't respond to very well. It's interesting. I want to break down the concept of missteps a little bit more granularly. There's a saying, the medium is the message. And mm -hmm. as you alluded to, sometimes the fluency of misinformation exceeds accurate information. Do you see certain missteps as a result of not just the social media algorithms, but potentially willful attempts at misinformation? Well, I certainly think there have been willful attempts at misinformation. And keep in mind that when people are misinformed, they don't think they're misinformed. They, yeah. they think they're right. And the problem is that, you know, this is a bigger issue that we really ha haven't done well in science education and math education. There's a lot of math involved in terms of how we look at the effectiveness of vaccines and therapies, but we didn't use plain language enough to talk to people. I mean, at WebMD, we've worked very hard on doing that. But in general, we're not talking to people in a respectful way, listening to their concerns and explaining. And this is a concept that's very hard for, for people to understand that aren't involved in science. Much of science is not black and white, it's gray. And we learn more information, particularly in a rapidly evolving pandemic. So this is the point from the beginning. You want your experts and your leaders to change based on new information and not be hardened in their positions. That, that's not what we want, but we haven't communicated that well. And then unfortunately, you know, in this issue, it's become very politicized in, in terms of people making statements for a particular political reason as opposed to a medical reason. And then traditionally, a lot of public health officials were not prepared in, in terms of the communication skills that are necessary. I think of the scale of this, where we basically shut down society for a period of time last year. And even now, where we're still figuring out how to completely open businesses and schools in many areas. So it's a little bit of learning as we go. And some members of the public have not been very receptive to that. And then others do actively promote misinformation. I'm not so sure it's disinformation, meaning that they're willfully doing it. I do right. believe many people think that for whatever reason, um, but then we don't engage with them in a meaningful, respectful way to, to help them think through it in, in a new strategy. I think it's very astute to note how you made a distinction between political rhetoric and political discourse versus scientific rhetoric and scientific discourse. Do you feel that that blending, almost how they merged in a way where it became indistinguishable among certain media outlets led to a lot of the misinformation to the point where people saw change as errors? Absolutely. I think people, many people were basing their behavior to make a political statement. I'm not gonna get the vaccine. I'm not gonna wear a mask. 
I'm not going to socially distance because government leaders are in a conspiracy theory, or it's about my individual rights, not even really completely understanding what that means in terms of, you know, what we really do have the right to do and not to do in a free society. And I've never seen that before where, you know, people don't say that for heart disease or blood pressure medicines yeah. or things like that, or other, you know, infectious diseases, the flu, you know, they may not get the flu vaccine because they mistakenly believe they got the flu from getting the vaccine, but they're not choosing not to take it to make a political statement and, and talk about their rights. And, and that's what's challenging. And remember, in terms of even of mandates, flu vaccines and other vaccines are, are mandated all the time in, in medicine as a healthcare professional. They're mandated you know, various vaccines for schools. Yet here, people really have had vitriol. That's the disappointing part, where we're seeing violence and attacks and nasty letters. That's what's really concerning against the media, against health professionals. At what point does the vitriol become innate to human nature? Meaning, are there limits to accurate healthcare messaging? And at a certain point beyond that, we should simply allow people to think in non-medical ways, or we should continue to reach out and try to find common ground. I think there are limits to accurate medical information. And we're seeing that here. We don't exactly know how coronavirus functions. We have to base decisions on the best available information at the time. And something that we do have to do, and there is an argument for, how do we make it practical? as well. So you could say whether five days is the right amount of time based on science, or you could say based on practicality. It's not both. So just be upfront from the beginning. And I think that's something that we haven't done. And then that needlessly confuses people. But we do have to find common ground. We have to have a better discussion of risk. Yeah. So the risk of getting coronavirus based on your personal risk. That's what we could talk about based on your behaviors, based upon your health conditions, based upon your community. How do you weigh that against a closed economy, against not going to school and the mental health consequences of that, about not being able to, to work and, and get paid and have those balances of risk? And, and we all need to stop talking to people. And then we have to think about in, in healthcare media, and this is a, a very relevant point is, do we respond to every piece of misinformation? Mm. Because the challenge becomes that then sometimes elevates it. They, they may not have heard that. And now if I'm, if I'm posting yeah. why this is wrong, then they learn about it and then yeah. they find more. So that's always the challenge. And I think the key is we have to continue to put the best information out there, use different platforms. You, you can't assume that you, you put something in the newspaper, whether it's online or literally in print, and people are gonna to come to it because that's just not how it is anymore. And you know, people again that are misinformed don't think they're misinformed. So how do we get them to the point of where you said, and I love it, where is this common ground that we can all agree upon as to the best strategy and recognize that we can change it over time? It's kind of continuing the vein of common grounds. What can, media outlets that cater to the public do to make concepts like risk in healthcare more palatable to the public? Are there messaging in terms of content? 
in terms of the repetition of mm -hmm. information? Or is it simply to acknowledge that we can be okay with not knowing? What's yeah. the best way to convey all that? It's really elements of all of those. And, mm -hmm. you know, part of it is let's think about testing. So lots of confusion in the last, you know, couple of weeks, what you do if you have a positive test. Yeah. So part of it can be is, even though information rapidly changes, if you're a policymaker, you, you can't be changing it every two or three days. It doesn't change that quickly. So part of it is good managers as well as good communicators. On the media side, it's making sure that you find people that look like those groups that might be disadvantaged. So we have mm -hmm. a lot of older white doctors talking on TV, not as much anymore, uh, but still we need to make some progress. But we also have to recognize to your point, it has to be multi-platform, meaning some people like to learn by reading it online. Others want to read, a, watch a slideshow. I find those are still enormously uh, <laughs> consumed. Others will read it in a newsletter. Others yeah. want to listen to a podcast. Others want to watch a video. And you need to be able to make that information available in all of those ways. My other pet peeve, and I've talked about this, you know, actually to our school system, is let's have some infographics. Let's have some pictures. So if you test positive, here's what you do. Let's have a schematic. Most people aren't following the CDC guidelines and know what they are in the weeds or yeah. understand what the FDA regulatory policy is towards devices and the tests and, and everything or what safe and effective means. So put down a visual. Lots of people respond to visuals. And the great thing about many platforms is you can layer information and people can go to look for more. But people should be able to repeat what you're asking them to do and to understand it. I mean, that's even in medicine when you know we tell patients take two pills twice a day. There's still a lot of confusion about what that means based on low health literacy. The other big thing right now is health numeracy. We, yeah. we don't talk about that enough. What does one in a thousand mean? What does one in 10,000 yeah. mean? If I tell you it's, you know, it's an increase of 33%, no one ever seems to ask what's the baseline <laughs> in terms of <laughs> where you're moving from. So, you know, statistics can be misleading as well. So the, the challenge for media is to recognize you have to repeat messaging. You have to remove the parlance of medicine. Meaning we have all these terms that most people don't use and don't know. Yeah. So, you know, how do we help them through it and, and really explain it in simple terms? And, unfortunately, a lot of folks have missed the mark on, on that. And one of the solutions you alluded to earlier was having a diversity of representation in the physician community. There are, as you know, quite a few physicians, possibly more than ever, who are writing and speaking now. Mm -hmm. of what does this say about the role of physicians in healthcare communication? Is it no longer physicians write clinical studies then get disseminated by a third party? Is it more that physicians are now the researchers and the communicators? I think it's great to have more diversity. And that's something that I've been talking about for, for 10 years. And it's not just the physicians, it's also the pharmacists, it's also the nurses, it's also the other health professionals. And I'm someone who still sees patients. And I can tell you, there's still an enormous number of people that you know, say for, for COVID or other issues, 
they come to the doctor, they come to me and say, what do you think I should do? Is it safe, right? So when it comes to their body, doctors and pharmacists and nurses still have enormous credibility with patients. And in some ways you could say all politics is local since we brought that up, all healthcare is local. Anyway, what's happening in your community? What does your doctor tell you? Now I'll tell you, I have heard from some people, their doctor said, I don't think necessarily told them the right thing to do, but because doctors are regular people too. And so are pharmacists, nurses, and sometimes they're misinformed as well. Uh, But the point is there's still a critical role for health professionals. That's who they go to. When you're really sick and you're concerned about your body, you turn to an actual physician, nurse Mm -hmm. practitioner, pharmacist, you go to the emergency room, you go to the doctor, right? Because that's who fundamentally you trust. And I'm not sure we've always utilized them as well as we could in terms of messaging, partly because everyone has been so busy and overwhelmed during the pandemic. But do you feel that physicians, nurses, pharmacists have the same level of trust in print as they would in their traditional clinical context, the trust translate? I think historically they have um, in print or, you know, digital. But I think to some degree now is people look to on social media, who has a lot of followers? Who do I like, right? What did they say? And remember the algorithms are still pushing it to them. Mm -hmm. I think when you go in to see a physician uh, or a pharmacist, you're going in by design, by intention. Yeah. You want to know their opinion and, and you want their help. So I think in person, it still has tremendous value, right? You go into a pharmacy and you ask the pharmacist, what do you think is good for, you know, tone health on this? Or, or what do you think is good <laughs> for cough? You trust their advice. You know, online, will you trust it as much if it's a, a pharmacist, a physician, or someone else, a celebrity? You know, a lot of people are listening to celebrities. So I'm not, I'm not sure about on print and, and digital. I, I think there's been a decrement in, in terms of the amount of importance they, they put to a healthcare professional in print. That's a really interesting point you mentioned that because it seems that so many physicians look to media outlets mm-hmm. as a means of gaining credibility, but you see that as almost like diminishing return. Mm-hmm. Is that have a lot? That's to... a great point. That's a great point. Physicians <laughs> want to have, you know, a million people on social, but my pushback would be for what? Well, what, what's the purpose? Is it to generate new patients? Is it to be a thought leader? You know, what, what's the reason? Because sometimes you have to be a little bit provocative to, to get to those numbers. And does that reduce credibility in some ways? That's really interesting. And at the heart of the issue is the algorithms because they help incentivize certain behaviors or implicit moral hazards where physicians may behave in certain ways to generate those follows as you as alluded to. What role will algorithms have now moving forward? Will they become more influential to the detriment of healthcare media or will we find a way to balance accuracy with some of the downside effects of algorithms? Well, I think there's a pushback now about algorithms as people are are figuring out what exactly is happening. So I do think there's going to be a continued re-examination of those algorithms and and how they work and how do we address it, particularly in public health emergencies and public health issues. So I I do think we're gonna 
uh, have continued discussion around, and there already has been amongst the big players, and that's going to continue, uh, you know, throughout this year. Do you think that we should even go so far as to put certain contingencies on the algorithms for healthcare information, particularly since it's received differently relative to other information that's available? You know, I'm not exactly sure how we do that. I'm mean, not that uh, technical savvy. You, you know, you do think about posting some social media now when it's COVID, they, they do put little disclaimers on some social. Yeah. Sometimes they don't let you promote it uh, as they might others. So I, I think we have to work around those strategies while at the same time recognizing, you know, if it's a simple disclaimer, people learn to ignore that too. Yeah. So actually, we, we yeah. sometimes think, oh, a disclaimer is great. How often do you read the fine print, you know, yeah. things that, that you get? So um, I think we'll need to do a little more than that and, and figure out how do we prevent amplification mm-hmm. of harmful messages, right? And misinformation right now can be very harmful. That's, yeah. that's the issue there. That's really interesting. I think... If we were to break down what you alluded to in simple terms, it could almost look at it in three buckets. You have the healthcare content itself, um, the level of accuracy, the quality of the content. Then you have the medium itself, social, Mm -hmm. its algorithms, the way it jives within the platforms. And then you have the reception on how the consumers will look at the content. And you mentioned that there's a certain fatigue element to disclaimers and certain warnings. If you were to maybe just look at those three buckets at a high level and look at emerging trends that you see from your vantage point, where do you see the greatest influence in healthcare media going forward? I think it really is around those social platforms. If you Mm -hmm. think about two years ago, were you following anyone on social to learn about public health issues? Absolutely not. Now I would ask you, who are you following and how did you choose to do that? The big issue is gonna be, what happens when we're past the pandemic? And at some point we will be. So what's the role of these health influencers there? Now, will there still be an interest in in public health issues and in general health issues? And that's something that's gonna continue. Cause remember more and more people are pulling the plug as, as we speak. So remember they were pulling the plug on the cable in, in yeah. some ways with OTT products. And mm-hmm. they definitely, you know, have um, in terms of news consumption it's increased dramatically during, you know the presidential election and during the pandemic but they're gonna to turn to other things after this. And, you know, how are people gonna get their information whether it's news or health information it's likely going to be through these social media platforms and OTT over the the top um, type of platforms. Traditional media is going to continue to be relevant, but less and less so as time goes on. It will be much more competitive. So, because for instance, if you'd say, would you want to start a daily talk show on national television on health? Five years ago, you would think, oh, that could be a great idea. Do you think that's a great idea now in terms of reaching people? You could probably reach as many people um, on Facebook. I, I had a conversation um, with Dr. Phil a, a few weeks ago, uh, was on his show to talk about the book that you mentioned. Yeah. And I asked him you know, about like competition and stuff. And he's like, his biggest competition to his daytime show is his Facebook page. Wow. <laughs> <In terms> of, <laughs> he can get the same 
almost the same audience, if not bigger, on some social media posts. This will get on a, you know, fully distributed, syndicated, you know, talk show. And, and that wouldn't have been the case, you know, a few years ago. Wow. In a sense, the major emerging trend you see is a cannibalization of traditional healthcare media outlets in favor of social media outlets. Right. You know, why should I watch the news at yeah. 6 or 6.30 if I can get some nuggets right now? I can search and find on my own. I can get notifications, you know, about certain things. And I think it's somewhat generational too. An older generation mm-hmm. is going to continue to watch, you know, the evening news. Whereas a younger group isn't even, you know, many of them don't even have a television. Um, so how are they consuming their information and, and who's their peer group and who are the, it's really about who are the influencers and it, it's not the, the Walter Cronkite, the Dan Rather, and many yeah. people being like, who, who are you even talking about? Uh, it's, it's very different right now in, in terms of the message. Talking about influencers, there's a whole host of pandemic driven influencers that will have to either evolve or kind of see their platform mm-hmm. diminish in the future. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, how do you see the future of post-pandemic healthcare influencers? Will they continue to behave in pandemic-based ways with provocateur and things like that? Or are they going to find a new niche to raise their yeah. platform? I don't think there's going to be as much on health. You know, I think people are going to be tired and yeah. jaded, you know, for a while. And in general, people aren't that interested in health issues. They're more interested in sports and fashion and celebrity and entertainment. Health isn't typically, you know, one of the top topics. But I think in general, remember the goal of influencers are to get followers. So what are the algorithms to generate those followers? If I put in the same thing, you know, bland, (laughs) fact-based information, it's not going to get a lot of followers. I think it's going to continue to be not necessarily provocative, but something that I learned in my time at Discovery Channel, you want to educate people, right? Mm. It's the same concept in social media, I hope, for influencers, but I also want to entertain them, right? I want to give them snackable bites of information, you know, useful nuggets. I think that's what we're going to see more and more of, and less of these long form type Mm. of videos and messaging algorithms and, and stuff and, and really trying to find new and creative ways uh, to, to reach people. Well, um, out of respect for your time, uh, Dr. White, I want to kind of leave you with one broad uh, question to mm-hmm. really encapsulate the conversation. If you had to identify, say, two or three trends in terms of changing healthcare content that we will see in 2022, what would you describe those two or three trends as? Trending is going to be about um, greater visualization of information, meaning more of those infographics, more of those images, instead of trying to give these press releases and statements and um, algorithms that are written in text. I think we need more and more information as visuals. And I think platforms provide a greater opportunity to allow that. I think the other issue is, as we've been talking about, the rise of influencers in healthcare 
that don't necessarily have any true background in health. And what's the concern about information? Before I used to just worry about inaccurate diet information and, and fat burners and other stuff online, but now it's much more concerning in, in terms of overall health. And, and that's an issue that we have to address. The, the ubiquitousness of information that in different platforms and, and social media posts that, that people then can be sucked into. And we have to figure out a way, how do we prevent, you know, misinformation, particularly that which is harmful. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Dr. White. It was, um, as always, great to connect with you. Great to get your insight. And so I want to thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for those tough questions. (laughs) I appreciate it. Take care, sir. These are important discussions. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate your time as well. Likewise. Take care, sir.